Well, uh, welcome to the Mitch and His Dad podcast. I am Mitch. With me, as always, is my dad. Episode 21 we're on here. Number 21. Yep, yep. How's uh, how's your week been? Well, it's pretty good. Uh, the um, You know, you had your Masters tournament on. and uh, Yeah, I noticed that. That was big news because it was kind of exciting this year. Now is it all over? Mm-hmm. Mm. The guy who won it has one one of your strange names. He's an Asian guy, huh? He's, and he's from South Africa, actually. Oh, okay. Where the white Africans live. Mm. Anyway, his name is Charles C H A R L. It's like they left off the E S. Hmm. And his last name is. Schwartzel. Huh. Says very unusual guy to have won the Masters, but he played really well. Oh, you know, that was... Uh, I I was in a sports bar having lunch on Friday, and I, I think... And they had that up on the on the screen, and I, I just remember seeing the guy in the first place, and I was like, that's probably going to be the winner. And But the guy who was playing while I was watching it was some Asian guy. I think that's how I got confused. And, uh, K.J. Choi. That was the one. That's the guy. He lives in Fort Worth. What's that? He lives right out here where I live in Fort Worth. Oh, yeah? A lot of the pros, the golfers, live in this area because of the location. Being in the middle of the country, it's easy to fly around to the different tournaments. Yeah, I remember you saying that before where a lot of the golfer yeah. guys were... You know. Yeah, the golfers like to live... A lot, a lot of the... Athletes like to live here, just also, because travel is the travel's easy, you know. That's true, and uh, you know, obviously, it's, there's plenty of room to do um, athletic stuff, and you need, you know, yeah. sunlight and whatever have you, and you do have a lot of that. Yeah, you know, and it's windy all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I hear Meredith called you uh, recently. After- well, that's got to be the news of the week, is the Meredith. Baby, uh, baby Grayson. Yeah. By the way, I hate to say it. Do you know Grayson's middle name? Uh, I know that they there was still debate about it last time I talked to them. Oh, okay. They were going with uh, they were going with either Ryder, which I thought was good. Ryder. Yeah, Ryder or like R Y. Spelling that how? How were they spelling Ryder? Like the truck R Y D E R. Oh, writer. Yeah, and then not writer. Yeah, yeah, not like a writer. Uh, it it was either writer or like uh, What was the other one? Uh, What's your middle name. It's Ryder, like the truck. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. I was like, "Are you spelling it like Grayson the truck?" Ryder. That's terrific. But but then I think there was like a discussion about changing. It was something a little more normal. It was like. No, I don't know. I I don't even want to guess because I'll get it wrong. But I I don't. It's between Ryder and something I want to say more normal, like Spencer, perhaps. Spencer. I I, I, don't quote me on that. I just remember it was something far more normal than Ryder. Well, I don't think Meredith ever told me what the middle name was. So, uh, what his middle name was. So, so I don't feel bad that I'm not able to remember because I don't think I was ever told. I think they were still debating it because I talked to her the other day and she was. I guess they were still going over it. I think Grayson Ryder is a great name myself. I was all yeah. That, that would be uh, 
You, you're saying it. You're pronouncing it wrong, though. Ryder? Ryder is W-R-I-T-E-R. How would you sp- pronounce R-Y-D-E-R? Ryder. 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 It probably Ryder. sounds like a T. You're riding on a horse, a rider. Yeah, rider. That's, that's what I said. It probably doesn't sound the same. Rider. Rider. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I, I thought that was a good name. Uh, I, hey, we're sitting here discussing. It, it sounded, it sounded that, to me like a like an ancient warrior name. Grace and yeah. Rider, go forth. And, yeah. you know, I need you to head to the north and... Storm the castle. Onward, Grayson Rider. You know, something you'd see in Braveheart, perhaps. You know, uh, or Lord of the Rings. But um, I gotta say, usually um, it's not the case anymore because people's names now are have messages in them. But in the olden days, you never really discussed like. What the child is going to have to go through with this name they're giving him, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, but you you came very close to being Mickey instead of Mitchell. I can tell you that. I mean, it was down to the wire. Yeah, well, I can't really say that I've preferred Mickey, but I don't I don't particularly care for Mitchell. So yep, you'd have heard I'd have been calling you the Mick for your whole life. So yeah. Probably worked out better with the Mitchell. Mick Marzoni. It does Mick. sound a little better to me, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the Mick. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'd have been a famous actor at a much younger age with Mick Marzoni. Who knows? Or, you know, you, you might have figured that you know, having Mickey, you might have gotten, you know, a baseball uh, interest. Who knows? But more, yeah. We may have, may have stuck with that longer, you know. Yeah. You yeah. know. Well, I did like. I mean, that was that was my original goal way back in the day. Ancient oh yeah, well, you were you were in the baseball years ago. Yeah, I think particularly after you experienced being the hero at that one particular. Yeah, where they chase you around the bases and everything. Everybody loves a winner. <laughs> Heroes are good. You don't get to be a hero most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Only about four percent of the United States population's ever been. Ever ever has won anything? Where where are you getting this statistic? Oh, that statistic is old. That's an old statistic. It was given originally in a speech given by uh, uh, Ross Perot, hmm. and somebody challenged him on it, and they went through finding out where he got the statistic from, and he got it from some university. I think it was somebody like Rutgers or somebody up in New Jersey that had uh, put together a statistical, you know, looking at every possible way that you could be a champion of something. Right. And taking the whole population, and it came out with like 4%. So 96% of the population has never won anything. No, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, they never won, like, you know, you're the thousands uh, grocery store shopper in the no. new. That doesn't well, count. Never, Does that I've count? Like that? Huh? That's like a lottery. That's one out of 10 billion or something. Yeah, well, it depends. It's a small town lottery or small town grocery store. I could I'm see. talking about winning something that you have to perform to win. Yeah, well, that's a little Not bit different. Lucky, you know, drawing a hat out of a hat. Yeah, yeah. Talk about 
you know, you're the best at this for that day or that week or yeah, that season. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember when I was a kid, I won uh, Baskin-Robbins had those little miniature be- baseball pennants, you know, the little. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember I won those. I filled out a little form and I won. I was all excited about that. See, I don't think that falls in the realm of this statistic. No, probably not. Probably not. But that, then again, it's it's funny because I have a like an aversion to contests. You know, like when there's a when there's a, there's a lot of comedy contests where they're like you know top comedian blah blah, and I don't yeah. go, I don't go for those. But I I mean I also have you know partially I don't think it's a competition, but also I, I think it's it's wildly unfair the way they set it up. You know what I mean? Because in your head, you know, and probably in your head as well, um, the idea, I think, is, okay, you take 20, 30 comics, whatever, maybe 100 comics, let's say, and you have them perform however many minutes over a period of time, maybe if, over a few nights, and you have judges, and, you know, they eliminate, and so on and so forth, and you go up in brackets, right? Yeah. Or maybe ideally you'd have audience members come out and vote as well. Um, and that's sort of how it works, but it's done. Yeah, but you're going to have a lot of people voting for their friends and stuff. Yeah, well, that's why the the fairest thing that that I've seen so far, and it's still a little bit skewed, but it was pretty fair, was was where everybody had to write down, I think, four comics. Everybody in the audience has to write down four comics. So I think that's pretty. Yeah, fair. that's a chance. But, but, but you see, if you had a mind. if you had a contest like that in Des Moines, Iowa, you see, mm-hmm. where they didn't know any of the comics and there was no chance anybody in the audience knew any of the comics, you would get a much purer sort of view of the comics. Yeah, yeah, this is true. And I think doing it in was... L.A., you're going to have people that know them and they work with them and they have a job yeah. together. Or, you know, there's all of that. They bring friends. Or, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to get a real. In fact, that's why I think some of these shows are so popular on TV where they have the judges. Because yeah. the judges don't have a, you know, they have no horse in the race, basically. They're just voting on what they see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the thing is, what was difficult about that particular comedy contest is I thought, oh, well, that sounds fair. Everybody picks four. But then I found out that it's a weighted four. So it's one, two, three, four. I see. And I was like, well, now now I have issues. That's that's different. Yeah. yeah if you picked four and it was equal, that yeah. would be much better. That that I feel like that's as fair as you can get, really, given, yeah, it is. given the, the environment. And then uh, I was a judge for the, uh, f- like the first round and then third round, and then I performed at the finals. So I was, a, I was on the judges panel twice. And... Uh, I was very fair about it, you know. I didn't have, I think I had, I mean, I had a few friends in the contest, but I didn't, you know, and that was the difficult thing is the judge votes were worth so much more than the audience votes because there was three judges and their combined vote was worth 50%. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And obviously (laughs) we talked to each other. There was not, there was not very much, you know, oh, well, this shouldn't be, you know, Blah blah blah, yeah. or whatever. That's right. Actually, the finals, the the finals night was actually a voting. So I voted three times. I had three different rounds. That I voted on the first, third, and last. And uh, 
uh, we all, you know, for the most part, all the judges voted along the same lines. It's just sort of a difficult thing, especially on the finals night when, you know, there was 10-something comics, and they all did really well. I mean, it was a great audience, an amazing venue, everything was perfect. And just, you know, I, I had to come down to, like, who did I feel... Uh, basic because the 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 prize was um, you know it was a cash prize, but then a part of it was like a week in Seattle performing as a feature act, and so I was trying to base it on like I don't I wasn't basing necessarily the seven minutes or so that I saw. I was basing how broad is their range and their attitude and personality and stage presence to where I think they could carry a week in Seattle. You know what I'm saying? I was looking at it from that perspective of like, could could I see them performing for longer than you know? Because there's there's some comics I've seen over the years that I've only seen perform seven eight minute sets and they they're just amazing, but it's all on one topic. Yeah, you know? and you kind of go, what else you got? And I've never seen them go anywhere. They never go anywhere above that and so you kind of go oh, i see so you're just like hanging out and you do seven eight minutes of the same thing every time and then that's that and so uh, huh. yeah i didn't want that but it was it was weird just afterwards kind of being in the backstage area with a couple of the comics and though nobody called me out or said who did you vote for it was kind of like well it'd be obvious i didn't vote for so and so because they didn't even place you know <laughs> where it's like yeah if they would have been on my list they would have played. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Well, the funny thing about winning something is it sticks in your mind forever. You absolutely never forget winning. It's just, I was trying to think the other day. We were having this discussion sitting around, and uh, most of the people I was with, well, all the people I was with are younger than me, but most of them were like, 30-ish, 32, 35. And uh, so their memory was not that long ago, (laughs) (laughs) like mine was. But, I mean, I can remember playing six-man touch football in the Catholic League in the seventh grade and eighth grade and catching the winning touchdown on the last play of the game type thing, getting swarmed by all the students and everybody. And the feeling of victory, I guess that was probably the first time I felt that. I don't remember now, but I I can't remember anything prior to that. So it was probably my first. But I think that drove me to play sports was was the reaction that I didn't realize. I mean, I wasn't thinking of that. Yeah. The reaction of the people, just like you probably have with an audience when they're laughing loud. The reaction of the people around, the students, my fellow students, girls and boys, and the team was so incredible that, I mean, it just turned me on. I was like, whoo, I got to do that again some kind of way. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why, I mean, I have driven, I can't believe how many, I mean, it's amazing how much time I've spent accumulating victories. Because it does take time. You can't just walk out and do it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's, sometimes it's quite selfish. Um, yeah. I wanted to mention a TV thing. Okay. 
I hope I didn't mention this before. AMC Channel, mm-hmm. which is a network type channel, even though it's a cable thing, it's got commercials. So you got to record. Yeah. Did I talk about this last time? I feel like this was the, if it's the same show, it was a new show on Killing? AMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's well, the... I know what it was. I talked to you about it before it even came on. No, I, I thought you'd I watched even one episode. It. Huh? I feel like you'd seen one episode. You said well, you caught the first episode and you were really excited about okay, it. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, that, yeah. I don't want to talk about it again. Then. <laughs> but I, I did want to mention to you, I don't know whether I mentioned, it's all filmed in Seattle. Ah. And they have some really great views of Seattle and also some dungy, dingy, every every drains and every scene, it seems. If I was the Chamber of Commerce of Seattle, I'd be going nuts because it's... Every scene so far in this movie has been rain. I mean, it doesn't matter. What <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a pretty accurate portrayal of Seattle. You could only get you know. a time when it wasn't raining to film it, so that's what they did. But it's anybody that's got any memory of Seattle would, would probably enjoy watching the scenery because they did do a good. They do a real good job of giving you that feeling in Seattle type thing. Yeah, it's really well done, and and uh, they had the second episode. Uh, Sunday. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen a few things I'm over so the years that that, I'm sorry. that took place in Seattle, and it's it's always interesting because what's that? When I see things that took place in Seattle over the years, seeing movies and stuff that took place in Seattle, because yeah, you know, it's like I only lived there for a year, but every time I can instantly spot what street in Seattle I'm looking at, you know, what area, things like that. Yet I've lived in Southern California for going on my eleventh year now, and uh, Hollywood slash LA for you know six seven years, and I mean I, I see stuff that people go, you know, I was filmed just down the street, and I'm like, where? <laughs> like, I can't spot anything. It's uh, well, you don't get around LA much, I don't think. I do, I do, but I think do that. You? I mean, Seattle's a lot more distinct, and I think that the other side of it is that it's you one of those... You go to Burbank? Yeah, I'm performing in Burbank on Thursday, in fact. Yeah, beautiful downtown Burbank. Yeah, uh, Burbank. Yeah, and uh, I think what it is is I think that places like Seattle, um, to some degree like New York, Chicago, they they have a theme, kind of. Whereas, yeah, it's raining. Well, I mean, there's that, but I mean... It's also the theme of liberal hippieism. What I'm saying is, if you go to, here in L.A., block to block, it looks like a different city. You know what I mean? The architecture is not the same. You know, the the streets are different orientations. Uh, You know, the buildings are all different, you know. Well, the rest of the country... With the exception of San Francisco and Seattle and New Orleans and New York and Chicago, copied California, Southern California, because all big cities, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, uh, they all have a very sameness about them. You know, they, they have the, you know, all the chain stores and yeah, yeah. freeways, every place. You know, I mean, <clears throat> LA, when you, first go there or else if you haven't been there in a while it's very intimidating in a car oh yeah you know because you, you you're not sure 
for one thing, it's that's one of the good things about Houston and Dallas, I got to say. It's very easy to get on and off the freeways. I mean, in other words, you can get off a freeway by accident, go through the next red light, and get back on the same freeway. You, you can't do that in L.A. If you get off the freeway in L.A., you could end up where you don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, very quickly, very quickly, you, yes. you got to know your exits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact... When I was driving around New York City in, in a rental car back in 06, driving to uh, from Manhattan out to uh, the Wingfoot U.S. Open golf course, twice I got off at the I, – I didn't get off, but, I, you know, the, there's all kind of merging freeways. <laughs> yeah. And on two occasions, I got on the wrong freeway. One time I went over a bridge. I was going – no, no telling where I was going. And I just tried to backtrack, you know, just the best I could. But it took me an, an extra hour to get where I was going. Uh, just <laughs> twice got on the wrong thing. But yeah, it's uh Yeah, New York driving scares me. I don't think I could ever drive in New York. I'd leave that to the locals and call it a day. Well, it's you know, in Manhattan the problem is it's all taxi cabs. Yeah. Outside of Manhattan, like Queens or Brooklyn or somewhere like that. It's like most big cities, except that it's older. Yeah. The freeways are old. The buildings are old. They're all beat up and, you know, kind of trashy looking. Mm hmm NG. And uh, it's not uh, not nice and shiny like it is here, for instance. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, I was wondering if you... You didn't... I noticed they had on TV the people in Hollywood paid tribute at the death of Liz Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Star down on Hollywood Boulevard. They met at the Star, you know, on the pavement thing. Yeah, people do that. See, I like that. I like that about Los Angeles. The people like meet that. at the Star? They're very motion picture centric. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the the Liz sort of... Taylor was in my generation the movie actress. I mean, she was a movie star, but she was certainly a movie actress because she was very good. Yeah, I feel but, like there's a lot of that old Hollywood stuff that we just don't have anymore in that regard. You know what I mean? The the Marilyn Monroe's, the James Dean's, the uh, yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I know I can think Betty of Betty Davis. Yeah, hey, Betty Davis. Uh, What's the guy I can never remember who was like your favorite actor back in the day? Marlon Brando? Uh, there's that as well. I'm thinking of the guy Gone with the Wind. Oh, Clark, Clark Gable. Yeah, Clark Gable. Um, you know, things like that. Um, oh. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's Humphrey Bogart know. comes yeah, to mind. Yeah. Those, they, were, they worked in a system that's so different now that you'll never see that same sort of star thing going on because all those people worked for different studios and they, their contract had they had to make X number of movies a year to fulfill their contracts mm. and uh, the, the casts were probably ten times the size of what they are today like a big big scene today in a movie where there's looks like thousands of people is all digital stuff. It's not really people running around. Yeah, yeah. 
you watch Gone with the Wind and you see a thousand people running around in the, in the Civil War, those are actual people they had to pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, you know, a Cecil B. DeMille movie like Cleopatra or something like that. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people in those movies. I was seeing the other day, in fact, uh, I saw on this website uh, that that uh, they've been using inflatable people instead of uh, digital people. Like for uh, the King's Speech, I guess, there's a whole bunch, most of the movie is inflatable people. Oh, my God. It's these weird, faceless, inflatable dummies, and I just You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I know that on DVDs now, and, of course, they do it on cable all the time, there's always a segment of it that's like a behind-the-scenes. <laughs> yeah. You know, the camera's there, you know. I don't want to see that myself. I, I like to be in the movie and yeah. believe what's going on. I don't want to be thinking that, okay, how can they get a camera down in that cave, you know, like, I will say the only ones that I've ever really thoroughly enjoyed that I think actually enhance the movie are the ones like, uh, you ever watch The Abyss behind the scenes? No, I don't watch anything behind the scenes. Well, The Abyss behind the scenes will not ruin the movie for you. uh, Really? Because what ruins the movie for me generally is when they show setting up for a scene and they show the actors doing a scene you really, really liked. And then you see, like, director standing off to the side, and he's like, you know, he's like, okay, hold on, let's go back to the other mark, you know what I mean, or something like that, where you kind of go, oh, you just ruined that scene for me, because now I'm going to be thinking yeah. about this actor remembering their lines. None of that's in the Abyss special effect, uh, 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 making of. It's it's all about, like, how did James Cameron put together this giant thing, this giant ocean scenes and all this different stuff, and he built a huge... Huge doesn't even describe it. There needs to be a word beyond huge. Just enormously, <laughs> gigantically huge tank, water tank, like a a kiddie pool the size of the Empire State Building, just this enormous pool. And they shot, like, for a week, and then something, somebody forgot, the somebody screwed up the pH balance in the thing, and they had to drain the whole deal. <laughs> and it took them a month to fill it back up again. And see like, stuff it, like that, you know. And, and if you uh, ever did, if you ever did any studying on this subject we're talking about here, and you're living in a place where that studying would be fun to do, Cecil B. DeMille, who made many epic biblical type movies, The Ten Commandments, Samson and Delilah, you know. Right. I remember going to the preview. I mean, the uh, opening of Samson and Delilah in New Orleans with my mother and dad. The line was around the corner. Yeah. In other words, it was like a block and a half line. It went about a half a block to the corner and then a block around the corner to get in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And this is the old-time movie theater. There's only one screen. There's no such thing as two screens or 30 screens. Like <laughs> Yeah. Samson and Delilah, there was, I can't remember how many people were injured or killed in making this movie. But... He built, for the key scene of the movie, which is the end of the movie, Samson loses his sight. It's a long story, but... I, Samson, I know the basics strength, of the biblical Samson's story. strength was in his hair, his long yeah, hair. Yeah, and yeah, I, I knew that and, much. And uh, Delilah found out his secret and cut his hair and blah, blah, blah. So she then began to regret this. So there's a part where... 
Samson is going to go out into this Coliseum open thing with people all around, stadium type thing. Mm-hmm. They had these big temples with these sort of godlike animalistic figures in them standing up all all around the, the temple. And Samson was going to be taken to the middle of the thing and he was going to get attacked by these uh, trained sort of huge men that were going to beat him up and you know that was kind of the way they did with the gladiators type thing. Mm -hmm. Well Delilah decided that or he tells Delilah Delilah, that he he wants to know where the main pillars to the Coliseum are located so she, she guides him over there she plays like she's whipping him, you know. She puts this whip out and she kind of throws it out there, and he grabs the whip and she's guiding him over there. She puts him between these two pillars, and this is a famous biblical story. He pushes the temple down by pushing these. I mean, I get goosebumps thinking of this scene right now, and I was like ten years old when I saw this movie. But he's pushing these temple things, and the people are laughing at him. You know, it's like, what does he think he's doing? We well, see his hair has grown back. Mm. And he's pushing this temple, and and all of a sudden, one of the pillars of the temple actually moves. The base kind of scrapes off, like maybe three inches. It goes, you know, just a little, <laughs> a little bit of a move. And now the people are laughing anymore. But anyway, that scene when he pushes those pillars away, and that entire coliseum collapses. There were people injured and killed in that scene. I mean, things are falling, rocks, stones, you know, cardboard. <laughs> I mean, it's probably 20,000 people in this stadium, and they're running for their lives. And I mean, in real life, I guarantee you, they were running for their lives. <laughs> and, I was, and I watched that movie about a month ago. It was on uh, TCM, Turner Classic Movies. And it was just as exciting watching it again. I've, I've seen it probably a dozen times, but... But, I mean, there's even a scene where Samson fights a, a live lion. He kills him with his bare hands. And, I mean, it's a real lion and a real guy fighting him. It's just not Vic Mature that played Samson. But it, it's the scene is just, I mean, Cecil B. DeMille was something. Now, let me mention something about Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock was a fanatic for using for not moving the camera around. He liked the film with the camera and things happening around the camera rather than the camera going after you. Yeah, yeah. In other words, he thought the he he think he thought the best movie was a movie where you didn't even think of the camera. Right. In other words, he didn't want to have a shot where you said, "Boy, that's great camera work." Right, right. That he didn't want that. So he made a movie called The Rope. And the key to this movie was he never moved the camera. It's a 90-minute movie taking place in a room, and the camera never moved. Wow. The camera stayed in one spot. The only thing he could do was zoom in and out. There was no going side to side. <laughs> wow. And it was a good little movie. Uh, 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 Jimmy Stewart was in it. and Of course. <laughs> actually about a murder. But... Uh, if you think about some of his movies, not to be confused with the uh, what is it? The window, right? Was the window one? real window? The rear window, yeah, yeah. I watched yeah, that, that was recently. All in, one, all in one room. Yeah, inside yeah. the window of the room, obviously. Yeah, 
I mean, those are classic movies. But yeah, you you, you want to. The other thing that's different now is is just because there's so much media, every little thing is talked about. But mm. there's a whole thing about every weekend on Monday after every weekend, they'll have a list in the paper and online of the top grossing movies of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never had that before. You never knew anything about how yeah. much a movie I was making or how much a golfer was making or a baseball player. You didn't, you didn't know all that yeah. back in the – it was just – not talked about it was it was something nice about that i think yeah, but anyway yeah. it definitely, too much. Uh, I, I do i do think there's far too much uh integration as far as that goes far too much like looking into celebrity lives it, it just bothers me it's like i was <laughs> well, saying about that guy totally uh, to itself wouldn't you say yeah unfortunately and i it just yeah. it bothers me i don't know it, it's 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 weird <laughs> for me I, I don't like it at all i, I don't I mean, like, uh, um, I, I mean, I talked about it before about that that guy in American Beauty that won an Academy Award not for apparently American Beauty but for something else. But uh, when they said, "Oh, do you think this will?" You know, you've always just been like that guy from that movie, but nobody knew your name, and now you have an award. Face. No, no, different guy, Chris something. Oh yeah, Chris, uh, the Chris guy. Uh, yeah, he won. Yeah. He won for adaptation. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And they said, well, now that you have the award, do you think now people will remember your name? And he said, I sure hope they don't. So I'd prefer to be, I'd prefer to be anonymous. I'd prefer to just be the character and not yeah. an actor playing character. And that's, that's what I'm saying is it, it sort of takes me out. It's impossible for me to watch a De Niro or a Pacino film and not think, that I'm watching them play a character anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's it's hard for me to see that character. I have to like look past. Wow, Pacino did a great job in that scene, and instead it's you know a character, yeah. you know, you know or, or whatever. It should be a character, yeah. but instead it's you know. Well, you know, this whoever. was the thing that Marlon Brando <laughs> was ostracized about most of his career. He didn't like the off-the-screen activities. Yeah. In other words, for one thing, he thought it was ridiculous that you could make so much money making a movie. He thought, it, you know, in fact, he ended up making fools out of them by making movies that were not very good movies, but they paid him enormous amounts of money, like Superman. Right, right. You know, they paid him like $10 million for three minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apocalypse Now, he did the same thing. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it is different. It is it is hard to see. Like we talked about this before, somebody like Pacino is sort of like Helen Mirren. I mean, Helen Mirren must make a movie a week. Yeah, seems and like it. Pacino's like one a month. It seems not Pacino, De Niro. Oh, De Niro. Yeah, De Niro. Yeah, big time. And De Niro's making so many movies. So. At the same time, if I'm him, I'm probably doing the same thing because he's making, you know, a fortune every time his name gets put up in lights. They know they're going to sell X number of tickets just because he's in the movie, you know. Yeah. So uh, it's it's. I just think that's just kind of the world we live in. There's no turning back. Let's put it that way. Well, do you ever think like I remember a uh, a music teacher had told me once back in the day. 
when he talked about Elvis, and I always thought this was an interesting, astute observation when I was like in seventh grade. Still scares me to this day, actually. And he was talking about how in Elvis's late career, he had gotten to a point where you'd put Elvis on a record and it would sell however many, you know, however many millions of albums or yeah. th- thousands, I guess, at those times. Um, but let's just go with it sells a million. And uh, so he would get to points where he'd feel big inspiration and he'd be like, oh, I've, I got to get this record out. I'm feeling, you know, this, these songs speak to me. I'm putting my heart and soul into it. Sells a million. And then they're like, great job, let's let's do another album. And he's like, ah, and they're like, congratulately obligated, you know, do another album. And he pumps out some crap that he hates, sells a million. Yeah. And it was that thing where he was so wildly depressed because no matter what he did, the results were identical. No matter how much work he put into it, it meant nothing to the people except that it was Elvis on the thing. And it would have meant the yeah. same had it just been a bunch of crap that he didn't care about. And I wonder, for instance, uh, so my biggest fear has always been getting to some point where I'm entirely comfortable and I've done, you know, whatever. And I'm nowhere near that point now. (laughs) But I think that's part of why I, I like, have a problem, like, seeing things through or finishing things. Because I think there's a part of me that's afraid that I'll finish a given thing and then I'll be like, okay, well, that's, so that's done. And there's nothing to, there's no goal anymore. And I, I kind of live for that goal, but I do wonder if, say, De Niro, Pacino, like, do, do, do they wake up in the middle of the night or whatever and go, man, I, you know, I got one le- one good one left in me. You know, I got, you know, I'd really love to do a film about blank. I've always wanted to play a something or other. You know, is is there going to be a role that De Niro does where we just all sit back and go, wow? And I think, for instance, Jack Nicholson did that with About Schmidt. I think that's his last great role he'll ever do. Yeah. To me, that was his last. And he hasn't really done anything since then. I'm sure he's done little things, but I can't even think of anything. But to me, that Wolf was man. You know, that was before. That was way was before. It? Yeah, that was like in the 90s. That was terrible. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know. Yeah, About Schmidt was good. He did that one with the uh, the, 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 the the bucket list. What is it called? The oh, movie. yeah, I think it's called The Bucket List. I didn't see that, so maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe but it wasn't. Morgan yeah. Freeman. But, you but, know, you know. what you're talking about, if you think of not just stars, but just absolute superstars, the, the Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson type people, Mickey yeah. Mantle. Yeah. type people I think they all reach that depressed level when they know they're going to have an automatic success at something because the success is measured financially I mean Mickey Mantle who was not a mental giant <clears throat> the reason he became an alcoholic and got, in, got himself in all kind of trouble health wise ended up dying from it Yeah. was I think and it's my own opinion I think it had to do you know he had guilt feelings I'm sure about his girlfriends and all that other stuff too his family how little he was around for his kids all that stuff but I think he he couldn't understand how people would pay $10,000 for a baseball card with his picture on it right right so it was like how can this be I mean 
it, it just you know it, it it blew his mind. He just he even he even mentioned it in the final speech he made before he died that he just didn't you know he didn't understand how I could be how he could be somebody who everybody wants a piece of him you know type of thing. Hmm. And I think that drives a lot of them to. I mean, I think it definitely affected Elvis. I mean, he, he was, you know, I mean, I don't know whether you'll ever have a star of the magnitude of Elvis. Yeah. Uh, there's too many stars to have the one guy like that. I, I think but, also there's just so many things that have changed in the media, and we're so quick. Oh, yeah, that I don't think we so could follow. Media. We couldn't even follow one person that long. We'd be like, "What's they been? What have they been up to?" Like here I am yeah. talking smack on Jack Nicholson, and meanwhile he may be in the middle of making a movie right now, and I just I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what it is. It, it's 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 just an overabundance. It's it's the famous Toyota ad: "Too much is not enough." Oh, okay. That's like a famous Toyota ad. <laughs> yeah, think about that. Too much is not enough. Yeah, that is yeah. the way we live today. We lived exactly that way. Well, I, I was also like, for instance, uh, my favorite musician of all time is this guy Mike Patton. I've mentioned it before. And uh, I got to interview him some years ago. Um, and he's got more bands than I can even name in a in a quiz or anything. Um, he's just always doing projects. It seems like every year there's three, four albums he puts out under different acts that he does. And uh, when I interviewed him, I said, you know, there was a magazine recently that named you as uh, the most underrated musician of all time and uh, called Faith No More's uh, Angel Dust album the greatest album you've never heard of. And it was like on this list of a hundred albums that were the greatest albums you've never heard of. And it was the number one was Faith No More's Angel Dust. And so I asked him about that. I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, uh, he said, underrated by whom? I'm perfectly happy and content and I live for the next great meal. And I'll work as long as I can. Or as long as they'll have me, I think is what he said. And I guess I, there's a part of me kind of goes, well... You know, he I, he's never going to achieve, you know, Elvis-level status. I don't think he'll ever be more famous than he was in the 80s when Faith No More... I've never heard big. of him, for instance. Yeah, naturally. But uh, he was, you know, he he wasn't really a household name in the 80s, but Faith No More was pretty well known. You bought me their tape, for instance, one time. Um, but insofar as that, I think that's the biggest level of fame he'll ever achieve. And not that fame drives him, but I do wonder... If he ever get, you know, if he ever has that moment of frustration where he's like, you know, I, I just like to get this out to as many people as I can, and it's hard to get people to pay attention anymore, you know, that kind of thing, where you hit that glass ceiling of your own yeah. world, you know. I, I worry about that in my own life when I've done like Jeez. certain things that get, you know, an audience for a little while, and then it ends, and I move on to another project, and the audience dwindles a bit, and I'm like, well, I get them back one day. <laughs> You know, and I'm working on it. I'm I'm getting there. You know, we'll see. <laughs> but it's, Jeez. I don't know. That's that's the. You kind got of your stuff, taxes right? filed? I do not. When does that do? Twentieth. Fifteenth. Hmm. Well, then I'm going to be late. Well, nah. that's a penalty. Nah, I didn't pay him last year, so we'll see what happens. What? 
I didn't make. I, I didn't have any money last year. I was like, if they offered me to pay anything, I'm screwed because I don't have any money. Yeah, but you have to file whether you pay or not. Well, if I if I I was if you never if can I get in trouble by filing. People think people think you get in trouble by not paying, but that's not how you get in trouble. You get in trouble by not filing. Yeah. Well, I I sort of filed. I I went through all the steps. No, there's no sort. You either file I, or you don't. You know what it was is that I I have like all of my tax records except for the year before. So I guess 2008. Uh, yeah. So for some reason I couldn't find my 2008. And it was IRS like, will, they'll provide that for you. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'll have oh, to yeah. get a hold of them. Because I, I remember I was looking through, and it was like, when I was filing in 2009, there was this thing that was like, enter the amount from this on 2008. And I was just like, I have no idea. And it was a part where I owed not that much, like four or 500 bucks, because I didn't make squat in 2009. And, uh, and I was just plugging in random numbers to see like how that affected things and it brought things down and then there was parts where like at a certain yeah, threshold just... they owed me money and I was like I should really get a hold of that number and I just never got around to it and then I just gave up I was like screw it so you see the problem is they add penalties to that money yeah well I mean I need to just go to a tax attorney guy or a, you know an actual accountant not like H&R Block or whatever and sit down and go okay look here's this, what's going on Let's figure me out. You know, I just haven't. Yeah, actually, the the IRS will do that for you if you call them. They'll do it right over the phone. Oh, and then okay. they'll send you the they'll send you the uh, the forms. Yeah, and well, I guess I'll get a hold of them and find out. I didn't know they would do that. So they do everything. I did not know that. The IRS is gets a bad rap. They they're very good about as long as you're communicating with them. They they great. It's when you don't communicate. That's when you're in trouble. <laughs> that's what I've been doing is not communicating. Yeah, well, you know, that's what people do. They, <laughs> they just kind of ignore them and think the bill's up. It gets to be a problem, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when they don't they don't like that. Yeah, this is, I but, mean, up until 2008, I always looked forward to tax season. I was always like, you know, quick You were getting a firing. refund. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there was a few years there I didn't, but I, I was good about at least getting it taken care of. But yeah, 2010, like early 2010, when I had to file for 09, I was I was in no position. I was like, I, I owe everybody everything. Screw them. <laughs> this is basically. By the way, you know, Grace and Meredith's newborn child. Mm -hmm. Imagine the world that he's going to experience. I know. The driverless automobile. I know, I know. You know, I mean, anti-gravity cars, you know, stuff like that. I can't figure out if I'm jealous or if he should be jealous of me. Or you, <laughs> for that matter. There's a part of me, you know, it's it just, just sort of a simpler sort of thing. I don't know. Part of me... Imagine my memory of things the way they were that I wish <laughs> they were still like that. Exactly. The toys you had I mean, when you were a kid required a lot of... Uh, a lot of your input. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And most of it was and you. most of it was outdoor activity. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, right. you you were on your bike going somewhere every day, every moment. I mean, you you know, during the summer, your mama wouldn't see you all day. You know, you were gone, leave in the morning, come back at night. You know, yeah, I did that too. Yeah. yeah, and you just didn't have the dominance of internet and TV. You know, it, it was not a big factor in your life at all. Well, obviously, computers was not a factor because there was no such thing. But, yeah. you know, you just didn't have 
the intrusions that you have now. Well, it's weird. To I be mean, imagine you're going to the theater. There's one screen, mm-hmm. one movie's playing. Yeah, and they might play for a month. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, that's amazing if you think about it. Well, I mean, I can remember that happening when I was a kid. I remember seeing certain movies 10, 13 times when, you know, during the course of a summer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's weird to me. And so it's like, I mean, yeah, I, I used to write, we did have a computer. I had that Commodore. and I, Yeah, you had a computer. I'm talking about yeah, me. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just, I'm thinking like as far as, it's odd to me because it's Commodore was a good little product. I had, I, Didn't I had you think Commodore, Commodore was a good a good product for its time. Oh, absolutely! I loved that thing. You know, and and it, it, and you know, it's like I've programmed things on it. I made games. I played a lot of games, but I can't remember spending you know weekends sitting in front of it or anything. I usually did that at night when everything was winding down. I felt like as long as there was sunshine out, I would like go out, use my bike, or go to the park. I mean, thankfully we had that that park, Roadrunner Park, or we had at the at the house before that we had the pool and the basketball court and everything. So, you know, thankfully I had all that stuff. Whereas like. You know, these days I will just sit inside all day and play on my computer instead of going out anywhere. But you know, uh, and I think that that's that's a know, nice looking shirt you're wearing. There. It looks like a dress shirt. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing this at work. I took the tie off that I was wearing. Um, but uh, look at him. He's all mm, zipped up. Got the hair cut. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. get rid of the metal eyebrows. We'll be getting very normal. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Like I so said, got to stop painting our fingers. Yeah, well, that's not going to change either. I don't know. I have my. Yes, phone. it is. You're going to be fifty years old <laughs> in twenty years. Well, I'm just saying. Eighteen years, seventeen. Twenty years and a half go years. by pretty quickly. Believe me. I know, but in twenty years, I will have. I'll have a whole new set of problems. I got to worry about <laughs> back oh, problems. I, mean, I think of the. I think of the eighties. Uh, you know. Living in Phoenix with you and your mom and Meredith and all the stuff we were doing, and that's thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's hard to handle for me because that seems like no time at all. I mean that's a. Uh, I mean, it's like last time we talked was the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, and I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there are next year there will be legal adults. Who were not alive when Kurt Cobain was alive? Legal, legal adults. That's that surprises. I will be able to get drunk legally in a bar in three years with somebody who's lived their entire life without ever seeing Kurt Cobain in person or knowing, you know, what I mean, being alive when he was alive. It's that's. Well, I think of my crazy. grandkids, and. You know, remember holding Robert in my arms when he came home from the hospital two days after he was born, and uh, he's going to be twenty. Yeah, see, that's think of Robert being twenty. I know. I can remember him being a baby as well. I yeah, mean, I was and still I mean, Israeli. Really, I mean, uh, Kelly's like I'm thinking how old Kelly is. Kelly's got to be. I don't even know how old Kelly is. Twenty five, maybe. Yeah, she's got to be up there. I mean, Kelly could be married with kids, really. I mean, that, that yeah, I would have great grandkids. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, well, somebody had uh, some a fan of mine on Facebook was posting to my wall today or the other day, whatever, and I was like, "Who is this person?" When she was a twenty-eight-year-old girl, had four kids. 
It's <laughs> like, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And I can remember. Well, Meredith, have, Meredith having three kids is, is abnormal these days. I suppose so, yeah. You know, but yeah. I, I think, you know, she's 35, so. I mean, it's. I got a lot of catch up to do, but at the same time, I'm glad that she had a kid because that puts me off the hook for another. You know, I I slip back into the. <laughs> into what the is going to be if you have a son? What's going to be his name? Oh, probably something really evil, like Damon or Damien. No, you don't want to name him an evil name. Come on, geez. I always liked the name Damien. I always thought That's that was a good terrible. name. I always like the name Damien. I really do. We're not having any Damien Marzoni. Well, I'm sorry, but well, I'll change his last name too. I don't care if it's going to be like that. You got to get over this. I got to say, there was a weird part of me, and I, what I don't know where this comes from, but when I when I was talking to Meredith and I was asking about Grayson and, and the middle name and everything, she's like, "Yeah, we're still undecided on that." And she said, "Right now, he's just Grayson Epstein." And a part of me was sort of shocked. I didn't ask her about it, but a part of me was like, I'm surprised he didn't get your last name. I mean, I realize, you know, that it's usually you take the father's last I'm name. I'm not going to comment on this at all. All right. Because Meredith listens to our podcast. I, that's I'm, I'm that's not, up to them. That's up to them. That's look, all I'm, not, I'm not here to create a debate. I just literally, there was it was a weird part of me that thought that, you know, that was like, I wonder if there was discussion about the last name or not. On account of they're not married, but that's all. I don't. I don't really have a like a any issue about it. I don't have a moral quandary. It just, for some reason, my brain was like, really? Hmm. You know. Yeah. I don't know if you had that. I, I assume it didn't even pass through your thoughts at all. Well, you know, it passed through my mind. But I, I, I got. I'm at that age now with my kids that. I'm trying to be, it's hard for me to do, but I'm trying to control as little as I have to. I don't want to be in control of anything like I used to want to be. I'd prefer if he was Marzoni because, again, that would put me off the hook and I'd never have to have kids or get married. I could go get a vasectomy. We'd be done with the whole thing. But, unfortunately, that's not so easy. But at least we got Robert. He's a Marzoni, so that's good. Yeah, he's got Marzoni license plates. All right. So when he pumps out a kid, then I'm good. Then I can I can be off the hook, and I won't get bothered about it anymore. That's good. Hey, like Robert that. should have been Leo T. the fifth. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, but there was the no way that was going to happen in her setting that he's in there. <laughs> well, it didn't happen but, in our setting either. Huh? I, apparently, I was considered to be the Mick. So I mean, it didn't yeah, you you are not going to be. You know, that wouldn't be. You can't do it that way because you already had a Leo T. You can't pick up the name. Like if if Tommy wasn't Leo T the fourth, right? You could be Leo T the fourth, right? Right. But he was one before you, so you didn't have any. Tell that to George Foreman. <laughs> oh, it's George Foreman. They're all the same. They're yeah. all the same name. Even the daughters, as I understand. Really? Well, they must be like Georgia or something. No, no. They're they, he spells they're it differently. George. It's George, but they spell it differently. Oh, okay, yeah. George. I have no idea how they spell it, but I just I think it's uh, G I O R G E or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how it goes. I uh, had an interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I wanted to bring this sort of. It's not even so much a debate, just an interesting discussion. I was uh, 
I do that Mitch the Expert thing on YouTube where I answer people's questions and and because I I'm known for ranting when people send me things, it turns out that now instead of questions I get people's rants. And, and then they'll kind of at the end, what do you think? And I'm like, I can't do an episode where it's just me reading your rant. I'm not gonna do like you gotta give me like, I don't know which way to go on this. Um but a, a woman had sent me a rant recently about how... They ask, let me interrupt, do they ask you, like, yes or no kind of things? Like, would no. you, should I do this? No, no, very open-ended. I think they're all looking for a rant. They're all looking oh, for, uh, like, you know, what What should I do in this situation? Um, how do I handle this? What's the deal with blank, you know? Yeah, I got you. What You're is your opinion, opinion on blank? Yeah, yeah. So this woman had sent me this rant recently about how men need to shut up, basically, when um, when women are, are, are expressing grievances with something in their life. She was saying that men are too quick to discount their feelings and tell them that it'll be fine and it's okay and you worry too much. And she was very just adamantly – clearly she had just gotten into a fight with her boyfriend. I mean the, there's no way she'd have this sort of anger out of nowhere. And, I, and I've heard that before and, I, and I'm going to do an episode on it because I'm on totally the opposite side of that. And it's one of those funny things that comes down to a weird gender divide that we, that we just have with the men and the women. Whereas if you as a woman bring a man a problem – he, him saying it's fine and then responding is him genuinely caring because he heard you through and he says I have a solution or a propose a solution have you tried blank whereas the woman yeah. takes it as you're not listening to me because you don't care and it's like I, I do care I care so much that I have considered all of the options and I'm now <laughs> presenting possible solutions but apparently all women want to hear is, oh, I understand. I'm sorry to hear that. I, that girl at your work is a real, you know, <laughs> see you next Tuesday or whatever. And uh, whereas on the on the flip side, I've always hated it when I've had girlfriends and, you know, I, I'm, I'm upset about something like what's wrong. And I kind of briefly, ah, it's this thing. And and if I feel like I'm working on a solution, I will follow it with. But it's, don't worry about it. It's no big I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's something, it's annoying, whatever. Because I want, you know, this, I'll figure it out. Just don't, don't worry your head about it. And they go, I'm sorry. And I kind of want to go like, I don't care if you're sorry. <laughs> just bring, bring me a solution or just let's, let's leave it at that. And uh, it's a weird uh, gender thing that I've noticed is that, that women take that as you don't care because you didn't say, you didn't, you're not like trying to empathize with their feelings. Instead, you're trying to find a solution. But they take that as you don't care about their feelings, and it's that's the total the polar opposite. Man, this of what's is going on. you know what I'm saying. I don't. This, I can't believe men and women today, young young people like you, y'all have the strangest way of doing things. You've never you've everything never is this. more everything is much more complicated. <laughs> you've never had. That's why I brought this up because I was like, haven't you had this a thousand times in your life? What this this situation where uh, uh, you, what's wrong, honey? And and she tells you, and you go, oh well, well let's go to the store and get that fixed. It's, you don't understand, or you know something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I, I can't really. 
I, w- I want to give you a quick thing, and I don't mind talking about this because nothing came of it, although I haven't told anybody, so now I'm telling everybody. <laughs> uh, we have a store, the closest one is in Fort Worth, that I like to go to. It's sort of like, uh, I can't think of the name of it now. Uh, you know, it's like World Foods type store. Was this the German grocery it's store? It's expensive, in other words, but everything is freshly made. They got great vegetables, blah, blah, blah. But it's not some place you would shop in two or three times a week because it'd be too expensive buying groceries. Right. But I do like some of the breads and stuff they have. So if I'm anywhere near it, sometime I'll stop and run in there. So I go in there. This has been two weeks ago. And um, I shouldn't say I go in. I park in the parking lot. And I get out of my truck, and I'm walking toward the thing, and there's this red convertible Corvette. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's just really noticeable. It's not a new one. It's an old one that's been apparently refurbished. I'm just kind of looking at it. And this woman walks up. I'm saying this woman is going to be late 40s, early 50s maybe, real good condition, blonde hair and all that. And... uh she said, oh, you like my car. So we get into this discussion, standing in the parking lot at the grocery, about this car in the year it made, it was a 1976 Corvette. So we get to talking about the past, you know, and how kids used to run around in their cars and having a car was a big deal and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're laughing and talking in the parking lot about this subject. And... Uh, she says, I notice you're not married. I said, well, I don't have on a wedding ring, but I am married. She goes, you're married. I thought you were coming on to me. And <laughs> 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 uh, hey, we must have talked like, I don't guess a half an hour, but probably 15 or 20 minutes standing mm-hmm. out there yapping away, maybe a half an hour. And <laughs> it was kind of an enjoyable conversation because I love talking about the past and cars and we talked about the DeLorean and all that ah, stuff. And, DeLorean, yeah. She thought, she said, well, I thought you were coming on to me. She put her hands on her hips. You know, she had a real good attitude. <laughs> so that was the end of that conversation. But I, I think that, uh, I think there's a thing which I wasn't aware of prior to that. I shop for groceries myself because I enjoy grocery stores. And I think there's a thing where there's divorced or single women it's kind of a place that they are looking for men in the grocery store is this something would you say is true i don't know i've never I, personally been picked up or picked well you don't shop up. in a grocery store I well, do, I, I, I do. i'm not I saying i've been that. picked up but I, I just notice i love grocery stores i go to grocery I oh grocery i love shopping. them too yeah this is one of my favorite things to do Central, no, not Central Market. Yeah, Central Market. That's it. Makes me feel like an adult when I go through. But, uh, well, I, it's something going on because I noticed that, you know, you can notice it. It's now, maybe noticeable. there's a, there could very well be an age gap here. That, that could, you know what I'm saying? An older woman seeing an older man, uh, shopping in a grocery store alone will, might, lead different conclusions oh, on. <laughs> yeah exactly would would be led to a different conclusion i got than, you that's true you know what i'm saying i look yeah, like a, it, i live alone in a bachelor pad and i'm shopping for food for the week yeah because most of the women shopping in there 
uh, when I go. See, I, I'm going during the week. You know, a lot of women that are married with kids are they don't they go on Friday night or Saturday or something. Yeah. So you're right. It is an age thing. It definitely is an age. I am thing. just guessing. It also could be a Texas it's thing. Well, I mean, it's a noticeable thing. If it's just, it's very. I find it kind of funny, but it is noticeable. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. I um, I might because, have to start hitting on people at the grocery store. It's a pretty good idea. I try that. I'm not. I'm. I'm not the kind of person who who goes up and talks to women. Um, Uninvited. I, I didn't go up and talk to this woman because she was not around when I stopped by the car. The car was parked there with the top down. Right. I'm just saying in general. I, I'm not. The, walked up to me. I just don't. I don't. Uh, I don't engage. Maybe this is know. the problem. Maybe you need the hobnob. Yeah. I, I'm getting into this weird thing that I, it's about a month or two ago where I, in it, very much a Hollywood thing. It's just. You know, walking around in this neighborhood and everywhere you go is just guys stopping women, <laughs> like in the middle of whatever they're do, hollering from cars, you name it. Because women here obviously just dress to the nines, and uh, yeah. the men, <laughs> men sure notice. And I mean, a girl can't walk ten feet in this town without getting stopped by somebody. And and it's just kind of that thing where I'm like, how rude! Just let the girl. <laughs> you know, she's on the way to a date. Probably leave her alone. And so I guess I'm, there's a part of it that's like it's just so rude to just go up and inter, inter, interrupt somebody's day because you think they're attractive and you feel like you're entitled to some of their time simply because you feel that sense of entitlement. <laughs> it's a weird thing I have now. So now I, I now don't talk to anybody this. in public because I feel I mean, like it's rude. I gotta go. It's after eight. All right. All right. Um, if I'm talking to a younger woman. You know about this subject, I and mean, I would say younger woman, somebody say under forty-five, thirties, okay. forties, they are very down on men, their age. They think men are still little boys. They act like little boys. They're not grown up. They like mm-hmm. to go to the sports bar. They like to mm-hmm. watch the big screen TV with their thong sandals propped up, wearing bad shabby clothes. <laughs> They're not interested in. Well, they're interested in sex, but they're not interested in relationships. They really, yeah, they're just kind of drifting through life. Mm-hmm. And of course, you see, they make movies of these kind of men all the time. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm thinking is, or boys, I guess you'd call them. I'm thinking that that general reaction that I get from younger women about men, I think it's coming from the movies. Because I mean, if you if you scroll down your cable movies, which takes a little time, uh, there's probably going to be ten movies on there in any day that's about that kind of a guy or yeah, that yeah. group of guys. You know, yeah. there's a group of guys they just got out of college, or it's a group of guys they work at some place, or yeah, yeah, you know, they're just kind of drifting around. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think that whole scene is is. Uh, with you single people is 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 a problem right now. It's, I don't know what's going to happen to straighten it out, but I think it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do think uh, very quickly and and separately. I, I've said this before. All of my life, all of my life, women have preferred older men. Uh, no matter what age I was, I was just a little bit too young. It was always you know. I'm not saying I've never been with women older than me, but across the line. 
you know, whatever age. I, I can remember being a freshman in high school and I was hanging out at my friend's house and he had an older brother and uh, there was a couple of girls over there and one of them was just, just gorgeous. And she was being really nice to me and I was kind of making jokes and, you know, hanging out with her and stuff, not knowing she was a senior or something. And uh, she goes, I can't believe you're a freshman. And I was like, yeah, eh, it sucks, you know, or <laughs> whatever. And she goes, you're going to be a really cool senior. I hope I meet you then. My goodness. And I was like... <laughs> the worst possible thing she could say. Right? So it's like, yeah, then I get to be a senior. Uh, everybody wants guys in, guys in college. They all want the guys in college. You know, and except for the freshman girls, and they were okay with me. Then I get into, the, you know, college ages, and everybody's, you know, I like a guy with a career that's out of college. And now, you know, I'm in my early 30s, and the girls in there, the women I, I've met that are in their 30s are either married or they're, like, looking at 40-something dudes who have been divorced once or they don't have time for men, a lot of them. Most of them don't have time for men. And then the younger ones I'm okay with. But, I, you know, we're talking 23, 24, where I'm like, ah, just I hate your outlook on life at that age. <laughs> so I'm like... Yeah, but aren't you going to attract 23 or 24-year-olds with your whole shtick you got going there? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm certainly not complaining. They're much more, uh, you know, I, I, as I've said it on stage a million times, I, I think it's acute when when girls still have ambition and life hasn't beat the crap out of them yet. And, you know, it's... It's, I have it's adorable on. when they have I've got to go. All right, all right. Let's, let's, uh, I still have all these questions, short, so we'll take it short next week. Huh? Yeah, next week I got, I've got a whole bunch of topics I meant to get to, personal questions oh, or not, so I'll save them for next that's time. Good. Well, I didn't talk about The Sopranos either, so I'll have two episodes to talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to try to get out to Phoenix this weekend, so I'll try to call you from there. Uh, oh, good. Otherwise, we'll talk about how the trip went on Monday. And then I want some, you know, pictures with all of you together. Of course, of course. I'll get plenty of photos. Okay, good. All right, all right man. I love you. I love Take you, too. Take care out there. Be careful. Certainly will. All right. Good night. All right. Good night.